welcome to the How Not to Screw Up Your Kids podcast. So pour yourself a cuppa, find a comfy seat and enjoy the conversation. This is episode 17 and today I'm talking about how to manage sibling conflict. It's one of the most common daily parenting challenges I get asked about and with some tweaks here and there we can create so much more harmony. Now let me start by being totally honest and upfront. Sibling rivalry, disagreements and fallouts are normal. They really are. Think back to when you were younger with your siblings or cousins or friends if you were an only child. Our children are vying and competing for a limited resource, our time and attention. So it is unrealistic to expect happy families all of the time. Your children will want to kill each other at times and really dislike each other most of the rest of the time. And that's normal. You aren't a bad parent, you haven't failed, and they are certainly not going to turn into a psycho killer. However, there are things we do as parents which makes things worse, which we need to stop doing. And there are some new strategies we can employ to give our children the tools to manage conflict. Here's a typical scenario. It starts off innocently enough. There's a small disagreement. Voices become raised. There's shouting, then screaming. And one of your children races to find you in floods of tears, sobbing so much so that they can't, you can't actually make out what they're saying. You ask what happened. You get one story from the sobbing child as the other runs in to defend their actions and gives you a different version of events. Who do you believe? And what do you do about it? Sound familiar? Let's be honest, we've all been there, me as much as everyone else. Nothing, nothing is more upsetting than watching your own children at each other's throats with no regard for each other's feelings or sensitivities. Whether your children engage in the physical or the verbal mudslinging, or maybe even both, it can create such an atmosphere at home that it either makes school holidays uncomfortable at the least or downright unmanageable at its worst. This podcast episode, I want to focus on the three common mistakes we make as parents and what we ought to be doing instead. Trust me, I've learnt the hard way when my children went through a pretty dire stage of having the most monumental arguments. So we're going to look at each one in turn and then we're going to talk through some strategies to help so that we can combat these. And if we need to do another episode, if you we get some feedback and you need more, then let me know and we'll do more. So let's start with the first one. This is the single most common error that we make. And I would say if after listening to these three, you can only implement one change, this is the one that you should look at changing first. And the first one is about getting involved in arguments and disagreements we've not witnessed for ourselves. And as I said, this is the single most common reason that we get in the way. You know, as we had in that scenario, one child will come rushing in, usually in tears, and will give us one side of the argument. We then ask the other child whether the accusation is true. And then we get into this refereeing where we go backwards and forwards, trying to piece together what actually happened and who's to blame. And the mistake here is that we are relying on our children to be 100% honest 
And let's face it, they won't be. Of course they won't be. We're not entirely 100% off honest. So what happens is when we get involved in these situations where we end up asking for different sides of the story and then we referee and then carve out, don out the punishment, there will always be a loser, a winner, and we will always be seen to have taken sides. My rules are simple. If you have not seen it, you cannot referee it. End of. I know that that's a tricky one because we all know our children um, and we all know which of our children is more likely to react physically to a verbal slur that their sibling might dish out. So we can usually make a pretty accurate, educated guess as to what's happened. But we're really stepping on pretty rocky ground when we haven't seen it with our own eyes to objectively counter any arguments. So my advice is Do not referee it, but instead look at other strategies where you're instead intervening earlier on and separating the children before things escalate. So let me talk you through this particular situation. We all know that our children, we can always tell the warning signs, can't we? They're maybe in their bedrooms playing or if we're fortunate enough to have a playroom or an area where they can spread out. It starts amicably enough. And then we can begin to hear the voices raised. And so my advice is, and I'll be honest with you, this is going to take a lot of your time. It's going to take a huge amount of your time. It's going to mean that you're not going to always be able to prep food, get on with other bits and pieces, knowing full well that your children are getting on and playing. But what I will say is the investment you make in time now Being actively involved and avoiding the escalation whilst it will be more time consuming and more disruptive of what you might be doing instead, it will ultimately save you more time. Because let's face it, how often do you end up spending so much of your day refereeing, getting involved, asking children to share, play nicely, be nice, apologise and all of the kind of bad feelings and atmosphere that creates in the house. So yes, it's going to take a huge amount of time, but it will pay dividends so much so that you will wonder how you ever got through without it. So what we do is when we can hear those voices beginning to escalate, we want to calmly and manner of factly say, for example, I can hear voices are getting raised and to avoid any possible upsets, I think it's best you have some time and some space separately. Sophie, can you please go there? And George, can you go there? In 30 minutes, we can try again. So that's just a broad paraphrase that you can use. But in essence, what you're doing is you're hearing the voices escalating rather than going in and saying, I can't believe that you two can't just play nicely. Why do I have to keep, you know, I was in the middle of doing something. Why do I have to keep coming in and sorting you two out? We just calmly and matter-of-factly go in to say, look, I can hear voices are being raised. Doesn't sound like we're necessarily managing to find some compromises or middle ground or sharing this particular toy, television program, whatever. Why don't we just go off and do something separately for a little while and maybe in a little while we'll get back together and try again. So what you're trying to do with this is you're trying to avoid the situation escalating so that we begin to start giving them those tools and strategies. And we do it calmly, matter-of-factly, and then we separate them, and then 
we bring them back up, back together so that um, they're then able to go back to their game having had some time apart. So that would be my first. Now, whilst intervening early will take up a lot of your time initially, it will definitely yield long-term rewards over and above anything else that I have particularly tried. So first rule is getting involved in arguments and disagreements we've not witnessed ourselves are where the problems come in. So if you come away from this podcast with only one new strategy you're going to try, it's about being very diligent that if you have not witnessed a disagreement, do not get into that refereeing and hearing different versions of events. Instead, use a strategy where when you can hear voices escalating, intervening early and then separating them Or the alternative aspect of that, which I also use, is I can hear voices being raised. doesn't sound like you're necessarily having a a great time or managing to compromise. But I have every faith that you can sort this out between you. So again, you're encouraging them to problem solve. So you can use either strategy. We can normally tell where their voices are escalating, whether actually it's best to separate them because we can, we think we're at that tipping edge where it's just gone too far, or whether we can intervene and we're able to get in when the, the, the voices are just beginning to escalate. But by us walking in, we've taken a little bit of the heat out of the situation. We've given them that positive, affirming that we have every belief that they can sort it out between them. And then we come out. Do not be tempted to get sucked in as one child says, oh, but Sophie's not sharing or George is being unkind and he keeps bashing me over the head with this. Whatever that might be, don't get sucked in. Repeat the phrase, I have every faith that you two can resolve this. Otherwise, you can then have some bit, a bit of time and space and go off and do separate things. Have that faith in the more level and calm your voices the more matter of fact you speak, whilst also being compassionate, the more likely your children are to resolve it. Because your children resolve conflict day to day at school with their friends. They manage these situations. So it's about helping them manage these situations individually, that they know how to do this. They can do it. They just need us to be removed from the situation. Now, what I, whilst I have said that you cannot referee situations that you have not seen, you 100% can get involved when you have seen a sibling conflict or argument and it's happened in front of you and you've witnessed it. Now, that's a different one. I would go back to the podcast episode where I've talked about how discipline doesn't work, how punishments don't work, because this is much more to do with consequences. You have done X and that wasn't a very kind thing to do. Therefore, the consequence is Y. So it's a very different situation. What we're trying to do with managing sibling conflict is when we get involved in situations where we haven't seen. It's very different when you've witnessed an argument and you've seen how one particular child has reacted and made a poor choice, then we can deal with it in terms of behaviour and consequences. So that's rule number one. Rule number two, one of the most common mistakes that we make as parents is telling our children, they should love each other as they are siblings. 
I cannot remember personally the number of times my own mother told me as a child how I should love my sister and how lucky I was to have her. As another adult, I can appreciate that. But as an eight-year-old who just wanted to play post office on her own without her six-year-old messing things up, it didn't feel that way. She just felt annoying. Children don't get to choose their siblings and they are entitled to get annoyed, frustrated, irritated, jealous and downright peeved off if they want to. Their emotions are legitimate and they are theirs. What we want to do as parents, particularly around these sibling relationships, is to help them make more appropriate responses, appropriate choices about what they do with their behaviour in response to those emotions. So instead, what we should be doing, rather than saying our children should love their brother or sister or whatever it is, that what we should instead acknowledge how our child feels and then ask them how they might be able to make a better choice next time. Now, there's a really big warning to this one, and I'm going to expand on this in a little bit more, but a warning in terms of in terms of the second part of that. So we should always acknowledge our children's feelings, but when it comes to encouraging our children how they might make a better choice next time, we should only do this after the event when things are totally calm. You know, something along the lines of, you know, I can see that you feel really annoyed with your brother, Ben. All you want to do is build your Lego in peace. And he keeps coming over and interfering and moving the pieces. You wish he would just go away and play elsewhere. However, pushing him and calling him rude names is not how we tell each other we're frustrated. Next time that happens, what could you do instead? And that's the way that we approach it. But what we have to remember in the heat of any emotion, in the heat of any moment, our children don't think with their logical brain. They deal with their emotional brain, that primitive limbic brain that's at the back of their head rather than the rational, objective, problem solving, critical thinking part of their brain, which is at the front. So in the heat of the moment, when it comes to managing those big emotions, we just need to acknowledge, we just need to meet our child where they're at. I can see that it's really frustrating. I can see that you're really upset and I understand and I'm here. And when we're feeling a little bit more settled, we can have a little chat. We can have a chat about it. So acknowledge the emotion, meet your child where they are at in that moment and then revisit it when things are calm. And it's really important that we revisit this because this is where our children learn. This is where their ch- our children learn that whilst they're in those heat of those moments, they may not necessarily feel that they have total control of the situation and that the emotions takes control of them. But we want to help our children reflect back and understand that, okay, in that moment, my emotions felt really overwhelming and I didn't know what to do. But now I've taken a step back from the situation. I've had feeling more calm and I'm able to look at it again more objectively. I'm able to see what my other choices might have been. Because actually that becomes so much more helpful for our children. And in terms of lifelong skills is that you're giving them the ability to problem solve, to see that they are empowered enough to make different choices and that the emotions don't rule them, 
but they need to find ways of making better choices in those in those moments and what we're also doing is we're helping build our children's emotional vocabulary we're building up their emotional intelligence we're building up their empathy their understanding and whilst this podcast episode was specifically talking about how to manage sibling conflict and sibling relationships this ripples out into all aspects of the difficulties and challenges and interpersonal skills and social skills that our children need to flourish and to thrive not only at school but as they become adults and in the world of work now when we do try and problem solve when we do try and encourage our children about what you know what might you do differently next time if your child does look blankly at you and particularly this can happen if you're a little bit of a fixer addict like I have been when my children were younger and I was always wanting to tell them what to do I'm a reformed fixer by the way but if our children have been used to us telling them what the solution is and they we've not necessarily actively encouraged them to problem solve and so they look at you blankly when you ask them what might you do differently then we can when we're sort of first starting out using these particular techniques is offer them a couple of possible solutions so you know i found that sometimes this works or this one works and ask them to choose so you're giving them a couple of options two options three options i found that this has worked which one would you like to try first and then this is remember this is a sort of a cyclical process so when your child inevitably gets into another big emotion with their siblings or something else and we find that calm and that space and we reflect and we talk to them about it, then bring back the scenario without being critical, but just say, you know, last time we talked about this, you were going to make this different choice instead. Maybe why did that not happen? Why do you th- And if they have chosen it, why did that not work? What could we do differently? What might we do differently next time now that we've seen that? So that there's some continuity in this, you know, much in the same way as our children are, having the building blocks in terms of their intellectual development at school, we want to give them the building blocks in terms of their emotional development and their emotional intelligence by constantly revisiting these particular situations. So we're looking at three common mistakes we make as parents and the strategies we can employ instead. So the first common mistake we make is when we get involved in arguments and disagreements that we've not witnessed, and we've talked about that, The second common mistake that we make is by telling our children that they should love each other as their siblings. And the third one and final one I'm going to cover in this podcast episode is the third common mistake we make is talking in terms of treating everyone equally rather than in accordance to their needs. Now, this is such a common trap that we all fall into. So we tend to treat our children equally because that seems to be the most equitable apportionment of our time. We've only got a certain amount. And yet the reality is so much more difficult. Children measure time very differently to us. So the time you spend bathing a young child, helping them with their homework, practicing their spellings, or even telling them off is all counted. When you have an older child who needs less help, or for instance, who is more compliant, then they can often feel marginalised that they don't get the same amount of time with you. So instead, rather than talking about spending time equally with our children, what we should be doing instead is talking much more about treating our children and spending time with our children based on need. The five-year-old 
who you have who's just started school needs more time when they get back from school as they can't do their homework as independently as maybe your 10-year-old can. Your 13-year-old will need more time potentially to decompress the challenges of friendships and maybe social media than maybe your nine-year-old and so on. So absolutely set aside time each day to spend with each child, just being with them, but don't get sucked into the trap and communicate to your children that you treat them all equally as you just simply can't. It's not a reality. It's not possible. They all need you in different quantities and at different ages and stages in their life. And this will ebb and flow and they will all get their turn. So we need to change the narrative and the way that we communicate and express how we spend our time with our children. So you will get these situations where you will have Maybe you've got a child who's going through a particularly difficult time at school or maybe you've got an anxious child that gets a lot of your time and attention because they need to talk through things. Acknowledge how that might make their siblings feel. Acknowledge that it may feel like you're spending a huge amount of time with a particular sibling because of their the needs that they have and explain to their siblings that that's what they need at that time And remind them maybe of periods of time where they've had challenges and you've spent a lot of time with them or periods of time where they've needed more of your support because they've been less independent or less able to do things specifically themselves. So let's not get sucked into that. Definitely, we need to be creating some time and space for each of our children each and every day, even if it's just five minutes of just a quick catch up. But it's being aware That when we communicate to our children, when we talk about the time that we spend, that we talk about need rather than equity, because we all, our children all need us at different times. And that's exactly the same when we start looking at different bedtimes. So I know this isn't necessarily about managing sibling conflict, but I think it's an important piece to put in here because it does, it is about need rather than equality. It's being aware and looking at the ages and stages of your children and their development and recognising that there may well be merit in your oldest going to bed later or if you've got three or four children staggering bedtimes. That's a great way of giving each child what they need in terms of specific amounts of time to decompress with you but it's also good in terms of being able to communicate with the younger children who may feel it's not fair they're going to bed so much later than I am is that they need different things and with age comes privilege but with that privilege comes a responsibility and so they're able to go to bed later and when the younger children reach that same age they'll be able to go to bed later too But the eldest will always be the eldest and as such, the eldest will always be able to do more in terms of privileges than the youngest because that's part of an age and a stage and a need rather than treating them all the same. And that can, the bedtimes can create all sorts of challenges and that's a separate podcast episode in itself. But it can create lots of challenges, but I think sometimes because of ease potentially we take our children up and we sort out bedtimes at the same time which in itself can create a whole host of challenges whereas actually taking the time to step back and look at the age and stage that our children are at might tell us 
which children need to be staying up that little bit later? How can we stagger bedtime? How can we find ways of responding to each child's needs and helping our children understand that there are always going to be these differences, that we cannot treat everybody equally and everyone goes to bed at the same time? Because actually there is a difference in terms of age and stage. So I hope that you have found that useful. Let me just quickly recap so that you can take this away with you. So there are three common mistakes we make as parents. We've talked about each one and specific strategies you can do in place. The first and the most important one that I would suggest you start with first is do not get involved in arguments and disagreements you have not witnessed for yourself. It creates tension because you end up refereeing something that you have not seen. You are relying on your children to be 100% honest and they're not going to be because as human beings, we don't recall events accurately as they are. We recall events with our personal slant on it. So do not get sucked into that. Instead, try and adopt strategies that stop sibling arguments from escalating and becoming explosive. Common mistake number two is telling our children that they should love each other because they're siblings, which is absolutely, they do not get to choose their siblings. They are perfectly entitled to feel every frustration, irritation, annoyance, upset, jealousy they they want. We need to acknowledge that and we need to help them make better choices in those moments. And the third mistake we make is talking in terms of treating everyone equally rather than in accordance to their needs. So instead, let's communicate to our children that it isn't about everybody getting exactly the same amount of time or going to bed at the same amount of time, same bedtime or getting the same amount of time on devices. It's all in accordance to their need, their age and their stage. So my give this week is a checklist so you can avoid these common pitfalls. So head over to my free resource library, drmaryhan.com forward slash library, where you'll find the link to download the checklist. All you need to do is pop in your email address and get instant access not only to this week's resource, but all the other free resources across all my podcast episodes. As ever, I'm going to make a plea for you to follow and review this podcast, but I'm going to add a little bit more information. So for everyone who downloads this podcast, we appear in certain places in terms of charts and people can find us. And the sort of the the adverse weird sort of part of it is, is that the more the podcast gets reviewed, the more likely we are to show up in people's options and recommendations so that the more likely it is that people can actually benefit from these tools and strategies. I've had so many wonderful, wonderful emails telling me how much you've really enjoyed the podcast, how helpful you have found it in your day to day. But I need you, if you have really loved this, to follow and review the podcast because this is the only way that other parents are going to find this particular podcast and find the tools and strategies that they need. Otherwise, they're struggling in the same ways you may have struggled before finding me. So please do follow and review this podcast so that others can find us and we can spread the love. So until next time. (music) 